0: Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Cat. When I think of Christmas, I think of giving. Now, I've got to confess to you, that has not always been the case. There was a time when I was a child and I would go and get the Sears and Roebuck catalog out and I would thumb through every page and turn down every corner and tell my parents the 500 things that I needed for Christmas. And that if I didn't get them, I was going to die. I was just going to have a miserable time, and I had to have them. And, of course, they always said, well, you better be good, you know, he's watching. And, and we went through all that stuff. But, but I, I, we got a video of some 8-millimeter tapes that uh, my, my folks made not long ago, and I looked at them about a year ago, and uh, there I was bounding into the room with the tree, you know, on Christmas morning, and going from one package to the other, just ripped the paper off long enough to go, "Wow! Oh, this is great! What else is here?" And "Wow! Oh, this is great! What else is here?" And going from one, to another, never taking anything apart. And you know what parents do? Parents sit there and say, "Now, honey." Honey, Grandma gave you this now. Look at it. Just get it out look at it. Whoa, 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 what's this over here? And look, look at this dress that Grandma made for her. I don't want a dress. I want a toy. I want a Barbie. Barbie, where's the Barbie clothes? I want that. And You know, and, and kids just go nuts, don't they? Don't they? And Mom and Dad are right behind them. I got to tell you something funny. When we when we first uh, had Aaron, we, we were real conscious about the fact that, you know, now with video cameras and everything, things are are stored for time and eternity, and so you've got to be real careful. So uh, we set our clocks real early, got up, got dressed, brushed our hair, combed our teeth, did, you know, everything. I mean, we'd we got everything ready, got our eyes open up and everything else. So that on the camera, 20 years from now, I said, boy, we really looked good on that Christmas, didn't we? <laughs> but you know how it is. You get there on Christmas morning, and everybody's ripping things apart and going from one gift to the other because we all want to know what we get for Christmas. Well, the sad thing is, is that sometimes we don't grow out of that. The better question is, what are we giving for Christmas? Are we giving a gift worth giving? And for the example, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter two through the story of the wise men, the magi, who came from the east. Now, a little bit of background about this story. We don't know exactly when they came. They did not come to the manger, for it says in the scripture that they came to the house. They didn't come to the manger and see him that night. They saw the star and they began to travel and most biblical scholars tell us it took them about two years to get there. When they came, we don't know that three came. It could have been five or 12 or 20. All we know is that they brought three gifts, three distinct gifts. But wise men from the east came and they worshiped Christ. That's what we know. They show up, they give their gifts, and they disappear. Why did Matthew include this in his story of the life of Christ? He did it because he was trying in his whole gospel to present Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and in the very beginning of it, he shows that Christ as the Messiah of the Jews also came to be worshipped by Gentiles. And so Gentiles show up at the very beginning of the book of Matthew, right after all the begats. They show up and begin to worship Christ. Look at verses 1 and 2 and verse 11 and 12, if you would. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 11, "...and they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way." This is a story that tells us about the gifts of the Magi. What were those gifts? First of all, they were personally given. They were personally given. Uh, They didn't call UPS or Federal Express or the postmaster and ask him to send the gifts and tell them if they got there okay. They personally delivered those gifts. Look at verse 2 and verse 11. For it says in verse 2, "...we saw and have come." In verse 11, "...they came into the house and fell down and worshipped him, and they presented to him gifts." The gifts of the Magi were personally given. Secondly, they were properly given. Now by that I mean they were the kind of gifts that you would give a king. They came, if you notice, to worship the king of the Jews for they asked the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So what kind of gifts would you bring to a king? You would bring to him gifts that were worthy of him. You would bring to him gifts that would recognize the honor due his name. And so they brought gold, first of all. Gold was a gift to honor the king. The finest among metals, the most precious of all metals, the most highly refined and the most expensive, they brought gold in recognition of the king of kings and lord of lords. It was to honor the king. They brought incense to signify worship of the king. Now, in the Old Testament, they would take incense and mix it with oil, and they would use that to anoint the priest in the Old Testament. It was something that was used, the incense was used in worship. Paul says in the book of Philippians that the gift that Epaphroditus gave was an acceptable offering, an acceptable gift, a fragrant aroma and well-pleasing to God. Our sacrifices to the king, our gifts to the king are acts of worship to him. They honor him for who he is and what he's done for us. Jesus Christ was the acceptable sacrifice, and we should give to him acceptable sacrifices for who he is. But there's a third one, and that's the most interesting to me. They gave the gift of myrrh. Myrrh was used to recognize the king's death. Well, you see, myrrh was used in embalming. Now, doesn't it seem strange to you that at the time of the birth of a child and in his first two years of life that they would bring to him something that is used at a time of death? You see, these Gentiles, these magi, these wise men understood something that even the rabbis and the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees didn't understand, and that was that this was the king of the Jews the one promised by God in Scripture, but also obvious that they had studied the Jewish Scriptures and in studying them had understood Isaiah's prophecy that the Deliverer, the Messiah, was destined to die. And so because there was going to come a point when he would die, they brought gifts of myrrh to prepare for his death. And so you have gold and frankincense or incense and myrrh. The gift of gold is a gift... Of royalty. It's a gift of royalty. The incense recognizes the purity because the priests were supposed to be pure. And then the gift of myrrh was to recognize his suffering. The royal one who was pure and sinless, and there is no sin or guile in him, the one who stood before God acceptable, would suffer to pay the price for our sin. Those were the gifts that the Magi gave. Now the Master gives gifts to us. I like the hymn that Charles Wesley wrote hundreds of years ago. It says, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, for there we're going to find a birth announcement that explains to us the gift that God is giving us. It is a birth announcement written hundreds of years before the child is actually born. Isaiah knew that a woman would conceive a child, a virgin would conceive a child, And his name would be called Emmanuel. And he says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 that there are four specific names that are given to this child who will come. Notice that he says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. James Montgomery Boyce says Jesus was not born as a son, because he already was a son, the eternal son. But Jesus was born as a child, which is a way of describing the incarnation in which the divine Son of God took on humanity. You see, God became flesh and dwelt among us. It says a child will be born, but it's not only the birth announcement about a child. Anybody could write and say a child will be born, and this is what he will be called. But he says a son will be given. Now, this is a day before sonograms, folks, when you could tell what the sex of the baby in the womb was. But this is an announcement from heaven that says a child and particularly a son is going to be given. And we're going to call him four things. First of all, wonderful counselor. He is the source of divine wisdom. Wonderful counselor. Now, in the Hebrew, there's no hyphen or no comma between those. It's like one word, wonderful counselor. A lot of people think they're smart in this world, but you can ask a lot of smart people who don't know the Lord, and they can't tell you why you're here, who you are, or what your purpose is in life. The only person that can tell you that is Jesus Christ. For you were created and you were born to give honor and glory to Christ. And he is the source of the divine wisdom. You can go all over this world. You can read every magazine. You can study the libraries of the world. But you will never find wisdom until you find it in the mind of Christ. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the one you go to when you need counsel. He's the one you go to when you need help. For his counsel is wonderful. I've left some counsel of some people that have given me advice sometimes and think, no, that's not really it. But I've never looked in this word and found it to be anything but a wonderful piece of advice for my life. Secondly, he says he is the mighty God. He is the mighty God. He is the source of divine power. We hear a lot about power these days. People talk about power lunches and power lifting and power meetings. We're trying to empower people. We're trying to empower the minorities or we're trying to empower uh, the masses. We're a lot about power. The truth is, everybody's talking about power, and yet we have a sense deep in our soul and deep in the pit of our stomach that we are as powerless as we have ever been. Oh, we've got our symbols of power. We've got our toys that we use to try to say this means we have power. We've got our cars that we drive and our phones and our fax machines and our cars and all those things, and we've got all our little equipment that we have that says we must be people of power because look at all the stuff we've got. But the truth of the matter is there are a lot of powerful people in this world that are desperately empty and wonder even if they can get up the next morning. But Jesus Christ is the mighty God He's the source of divine power. He said, I'll strengthen you. He said, in my weakness I'm made strong. Who? By who? Jesus Christ. Not by my might, not by my power, but by thy Spirit. That's what empowers us. The mighty God gives us power to face the problems of life. The mighty God gives us the power to deal with the issues of life. The mighty God gives us the power that we would not have on our own. But there's a third word, I think I like it best, eternal Father. Eternal Father. He is the source of divine relationships. You see, we were totally depraved, separated from God. We were orphaned by sin. We had no relationship to God the Father. And God reached down, and in His magnificent love, He said to us, I adopt you into the family of God. I make you a child of God. I make you my sons and daughters of God. You're joint heirs with Christ. And those of us who are alienated because of sin and outcast because of sin and away from God, God the Eternal Father loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And He said, I no longer call you servants. But sons. I like that one. Because it doesn't mean what it doesn't matter what your self image is, it doesn't matter what problems you have, it doesn't matter about your background. The one thing that matters is that you have an eternal father who loves you unconditionally. You may have come in here today beaten up and you feel like the whole world hates you and you feel like nothing's gone right, and this may be the worst year of your life, but I want you to know there is an eternal father who has given you an eternal relationship and says, I love you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. I love you unconditionally. Then there's another one, and boy, we sure need this one, the Prince of Peace. He's the source of peace with God. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. There are a lot of people looking for peace these days, you know it. They're looking for it in pills. They're looking for it in the bottle. They're looking for it in illicit relationships. They're looking for it in climbing the corporate ladder. They're looking for it in a bank account, in a trust fund. They're looking for it in a nicer bed, in a nicer house, in a nicer car, in better stuff. But the truth of the matter is, the only way you get peace is when you meet the Prince of Peace. He's the source of peace. You're not going to find it in those ways. God sent His Son so that you and I might have peace. He is the wonderful Counselor. He is the mighty God, the eternal Father, and the Prince of Peace. Those are the gifts that God has given to us in His Son. And He says to us, for those of us who understand that a child has been born and a son has been given, this is who He is for us. Now turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4, for I want you to see something about the peace of God. There are two little phrases there that are significant to me. In fact, I have them circled in my Bible because you get two things. When you think on the things that God wants you to think on and when you dwell on who Christ is and what He's done, Philippians 4 and verse 7 says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The first thing you get is the peace of God. But in verse 9 he says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me... Practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. You see, there's a difference. God not only gives you His peace, He gives you of Himself. He not only says, okay, you're in turmoil, you're anxious, you're upset, you're in distress, discouragement, despair. Let me tell you, I can give you the peace that's the fruit of the Spirit. But I'm going to give you more than that. I'm not just going to give you peace that's the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to give you myself, the God of peace. You need peace in your life today? There's one source. One source that will last. One source that won't give you a hangover. One source that's guaranteed to work, and that source is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Now, what about the message that we give to others? Well, this one's kind of... This is where I want to get into the heart of where we are today. And let me give you some advice on how not to give. First of all, don't waste your time trying to figure out how much somebody spent on you so you know how much to spend on them. That's the world's way of thinking. The message of that kind of giving is, well, you know, we've got to be fair. You know, they spent $20 on me, so I've got to spend at least $18 on them. (laughs) And if I can get it on sale for $12, they will think I spent 20 and it'll be all the better. Don't waste your time doing that. Secondly, don't waste your time trying to play get even. You know what playing get even is. Somebody shows up at your door and they say, Merry Christmas, and they give you a gift. And the first thing that goes through your mind is, Oh, dear Lord, I didn't buy them anything. And so the minute they leave, you turn around to your wife, you turn around to kids, get in the car, we got to go, we got to go to the department store, it's Christmas Eve, the store's closed an hour, we got to rush to get them a gift, and say, oh, I forgot to give you this when you were at our house. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Don't give like that. That's not the message that we give to others. You see, that, that's a gift because of a gift gift. And the message of that kind of gift is, I need to look good to people. Don't give a gift and expect something in return. Don't hand somebody a gift and then stand there and go. Did you read the card on the gift? Yeah. Did you see the back side? It says, you owe me give those kind of gifts? These are the kind of gifts I want to recommend that you give this year. Give grace gifts. Give grace gifts. Don't give because, don't give in spite of, don't give to get back, don't give because you want something in return. Give your family, give your friends something that they'll never forget. Now let me give you two ways to give gifts with the right message. First of all, a gift with the right message doesn't have to have a price tag. It doesn't have to have a price tag. Uh, It's a a plate of warm homemade cookies. Now, I'm not going to say this this time. I'm going to say it, but I'm saying it because I'm not... Two years ago, I said, boy, I love cheesecakes, and I'm telling you at Christmas, I got more cheesecakes. (laughs) I mean somebody is to blame for me not fitting in my suits anymore. And it, it just, you, you put the temptation in front of me, I have to yield, I'm sorry. It's just there, and I have to do it. But, you know, a plate of homemade cookies. Have you, have you ever thought about just going to somebody's house and just saying, here, just bake some cookies and bake a dozen extra because thought you might want to have them? An unexpected letter. A phone call to somebody that you haven't talked to in a long time. Say, hey, just Christmas time and I got to thinking about you. You may not have talked to them in a year, two years, three, four, five years. Their number, their name is still in your little address book and you may take time to send them a card, but you hadn't talked. You don't even know what's going on. just It doesn't have to have a price tag. One of the greatest gifts I think my mom ever gave was the gift that she gave to my daughters when she made them quilts a few years before she died. We have some quilts in our house and we have some quilts at my parents' house that my mom made with her mother and even that my grandmother, my great-grandmother made. Old quilts and now are tattered and worn. But there's a memory to that because, you see, I can pick up one of those quilts and know that when my mother was a little girl, she and her mother made those quilts. And now my daughters have quilts to take with them, and I don't know that they fully appreciate that, but you know there's going to come a day, you know that, those of us that have lived long enough to know these kind of things, there's going to come a day when they realize that their grandmother made those quilts for them because she loved them. It's a gift that doesn't have a price tag. I've got a little gift that didn't have a price tag. It's this right here. Now, this is not a Christmas gift. In fact, I think this was a Bible school gift or something, but this Haley made this for me. It's called Dad's Pencil Holder. Now, if you've ever been in my office, this, this pencil holder doesn't quite fit in my office. It, 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 I've got some pencil holders that are really nice. In fact, i bought some nice pencil holders because I like pens and pencils and stuff. And uh, People can tell you I've got all kinds of pens and pencils around my desk, and so I've got some nice ones. But i tell you, the more I've thought about it, this is my best one. You see, it didn't cost anything except time and love. And although it doesn't look like it's in place, it's very much in place because it says, I thank God for you, Dad's pencil holder. Let us love one another. God is love, 1 John 4, 6. That's a pretty special pencil holder, you know? And you couldn't give me enough money to get this from me. Oh, it's just popsicle sticks and glue, and I know that, but there's more to it than that. See, it's a gift without a price tag. It's a gift that says, I love you and thanks. But there's another way to give a right gift. Not only is it a gift without a price tag, but to give the right message, you don't have to give something material. I was just thinking about different things as I was working on this part of the message, and I thought, you know, our gifts don't always have to be material gifts. We've got a lot of single ladies in our church that are single parents, and and they don't have a man around the house and, and... they need things like in their car they're oil changed and, and a tune-up job on their car and things like that. And, and you know, they, they don't know whether to trust anybody. You know, you know, there are a lot of people, believe it or not, there are a lot of people in this world that see a single lady coming and they think they can take advantage of them. You ever, did you know that? I don't know if you knew that, but, you know, maybe you know one. You can say, you know, you, you want me to take your car in? Would you like me to do the tune-up on the car? Would you like me to rotate the tires? We can get it and get it on a rack and we'll rotate the tires. How about if I change the oil for you? Or you know a couple maybe that's been flooded out and they've got small kids and they can't afford to go out. Maybe you could just call them up on the phone and say, Listen, how about you let us keep your kids tonight and y'all go out and have a night by yourself at McDonald's? Just go somewhere. Maybe you just want to hand them some money. Say, so not only we keep your kids, but what we want to do for Christmas is we want to give you some money. You take your wife out to a nice restaurant you'll have a night out on us. That's what we want to do for you for Christmas. It doesn't have a price tag on it. Maybe it's to paint a house that needs painting. Maybe it's to give a day to work in flood relief. But i tell you a good one, men. This one's for us. The best gift that you can give this year is an uninterrupted day with your family. What I mean by that is put the beeper aside. You're not that important. Put your little cellular phone up. You're not as hot as you think you are. Turn the car phone off. Turn the answering machine on and leave a message on it that says... I'm sorry, I'm unavailable to answer a call today. Our family is spending a 24-hour day together without interruptions. You will build a day that your family will remember. How many times have you started to do something with your family and you got that call and you had to go do this and you had to go do that? Folks, I'm going to tell you something. You only got one lifetime to build memories. And those times slip away very, very quickly. If you're going to do it, build the memories with your kids. Give them an uninterrupted day. In fact, when you do that, do what they want to do, not what you want to do. Okay, kids, we're going to give an uninterrupted day. Now we're going to get up and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to clean the house. My kids say that's the only thing. They're going to put on my tombstone. If I die while my kids are still kids, they're going to put on my tombstone. All he ever said was, clean up your room. But do what they want to do. And that doesn't mean watch TV with them, or or that doesn't mean just sit down. It's interact with them. Give them some uninterrupted time, some time that doesn't have a price tag. Listen, one of the greatest gifts you'll give is a gift wrapped in love, not paper. It's you, giving of yourself, sharing yourself with your family. Give of yourself. There's some people that have given to me, and pardon me if I just spend a little time here, but... But I remember Sam Smith and Luke McDaniel coming to my house when I first moved here and building bookshelves in my study so that I could have my study at home. It's now here at the church, but I remember them doing that because that provided a way for me to have a study. I remember Walter Burnett twice now coming to my house and changing the heating element in my hot water heater because I tell you, I'm not fond of cold showers. And I know changing a heating is real simple, but you've got to understand, I'm a preacher, I'm not a mechanic, I'm not a plumber, I'm not a technician. If the switch goes on and the light doesn't come on, I call the electrician to change the bulb. I mean, I just, you know, I'm not real good at that stuff. But I, I can think through, and I can just go down the list of people who have done things that didn't have a price tag on it. It's just they have built into their lives a joy and an attitude of doing something for somebody else. Give a gift that doesn't have a price tag. Well, let's talk about four characteristics of a gift worth giving. First of all, it's often unexpected. It's often unexpected. Give somebody a gift that doesn't expect one from you this year. Because I can tell you, most of the people that you give gifts to that expect it won't appreciate it. Give a gift that's unexpected. See, the Magi weren't expected to do anything. They were not Jews, they were not priests. They showed up unexpectedly and they worshiped God. Secondly, give it with joy. Give it with joy. Richard Foster says, "...giving with a glad and generous heart has a way of routing out the tough old miser within us. Even the poor need to know they can give. Just the very act of letting go of money or some other treasure does something within us. It destroys the demon of greed." See, the question is not what can I spare... But what can I share? Do you hear about the the story of the old farmer who said, Lord, if I had a million dollars, Lord, you know my heart, I'd give it to you. He said, and Lord, if I had 10,000 acres of land, Lord, you know my heart, I'd give it to you. The Lord called down from heaven and said, How about a pig? And the farmer said, Lord, you know I've got a pig. Isn't it amazing what we promised God that we don't have? And then when God says, well, what about that? Oh, no, Lord, not that. I've got that. I'll just give you what I don't have. Oh, give it with joy. What you've got, share it. What you've got, give it freely. Let the gift be given with joy. Thirdly, it needs to be a gift that will last. A gift that won't wear out, won't break, won't go out of style, and won't be taken back to Sears on the day after Christmas. So how do you do that? How do you give a gift that lasts? It has two characteristics. First of all, you give the gift of good memories. You give the gift of good memories. You see, everything we do and everything we're involved in is building memories in our lives and in the lives of those that we love. You give the gift of good memories. Give your children, give your family, give your friends something good to remember. They'll forget the shirt, they'll forget the Sega Genesis, they'll forget the computer, it'll be out of date by the time you pay for it. They'll forget all that stuff but they won't forget the memories, good or bad. So give the gift of good memories. Secondly, give them a godly heritage. Let them know that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Douglas Lawson said, We exist temporarily through what we take, but we live forever through what we give. Give them a godly heritage heritage. What are you investing in that will last from generation to generation? In Christ are hidden all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. Give them a godly heritage, not just a church heritage, a godly heritage. You're going to have a great opportunity to do that on Christmas Day. I know it's going to be busy, and I know you're going to have family in, but listen folks, if there's any day we ought to come and worship Christ, it's the day that we celebrate his birthday. That's more important than what's under the tree. That's more important than eating lunch at 12 o'clock. It's important for us to gather together and to build into our families. This is what Christmas is about. It's important to say that to your neighbors who aren't going to go to church anywhere. That our family is going to get up and recognize, you do what you want to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's important for us to do that, to give a godly heritage. And then the fourth thing is, whatever you give, give it now. I'm not much for giving flowers at a funeral. I think you give your flowers before the funeral. Those that we bury, we say all kind of nice things about them at the funeral that we never say to their face when they're alive. One of the saddest things about seeing death in a family is to see family members stand over that casket and look at that loved one and say if I only had one day back so I could tell them what I really think. I tell you, the most God-honoring funeral service I ever did in my life, I did in Ada, Oklahoma. And there were three grown children in that family, and the mom had had a stroke, and she was lay seriously ill for about a week, and finally uh, she just slipped out. But in that last week that she was alive, those children rotated in and out of that ICU room and they stayed in there with her and they read scripture to her and they told her that they loved her and they told her about the precious memories that they had with her and they told her how thankful they were for what she had done. And when I came to visit them after their mother had died, they said, We left nothing unsaid. Do it now. You see, procrastination is not only the thief of tomorrow, it's the grave of opportunity. And you're going to find that tomorrow is the busiest day of the week. It always is. Whatever you're going to do, do it now. Whatever gift you've got to give, give it now. Whatever gift of love you want to express, express it now. Whatever you want to say, whatever you want them to remember, whatever heritage you want to give them, give them now. Tomorrow's not going to come. Give it to them now. When you give it now, you'll build a great memory. Jason Tusk was 17 years old. He grew up in central Florida. He loved to scuba dive. And one day he discovered a cave that he had never seen before while he was scuba diving, and so he wanted to go out and spend some time just exploring in that cave. He told his mom and his dad and his brother Christian that he'd be home for supper because that day was his mom's birthday. And they were a very close family and they loved the Lord and they they wanted to get together as a family and celebrate mom's birthday. But late that afternoon on the last dive, Jason Tusk got in a passageway that he didn't recognize and he got in an unfamiliar area, of that cave, and he became trapped in a passageway and in a moment of panic he got pinched in and he couldn't get out. And as his tank began to run out of air, he flipped it off of his back and using the tank as a tablet and his diver's knife as a pen, he wrote on that tank knowing that he was soon about to die, I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. I love you, Christian. He did not want them to remember that the last moments of his life were struggle. He wanted them to remember that the last thing he thought about was his family that he cared about them, that he wanted them to know that regardless of what happened to him, he loved them. What's your tablet? What's your pen? When are you going to give your gift? And are you going to give a gift that's worth giving? There's going to be a lot of stuff under the tree in three weeks, but it's what you put in here that will last all the year. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.